This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Thursday, February 1st. It's tough to get a bargain when you're not allowed to bargain. We start here. For the first time in history, the American government is about to negotiate for better drug prices. Negotiating, competition, that's as American as apple pie. This all gets underway today, and the man in charge is joining Start Here to walk us through it. Mark Zuckerberg gives parents a meta-apology. They were thoroughly unimpressed by what they heard from the social media companies. Fire emoji, eyes emoji. This was a contentious hearing in Washington. And Amelia Earhart's plane was last spotted in 1937, or according to this guy, a few weeks ago. You got a pencil? You, want to, you ready to write down the coordinates? What deepwater drones could tell us about the ocean floor? From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. If you know anything about American health care, you know that prescription drug prices are out of control. It costs $480 a quarter. $750 a month. Out of pocket was like $7,000. Like, even if your insurance covers the price of a drug, the drug itself might still be insanely expensive, which means if you don't have insurance or it's not covered under your plan, good luck. Pharmacists will always say, you know, this is very expensive. And I said, I know, but it's either that or risk having a heart attack. Well, when the Inflation Reduction Act passed a couple years ago, it promised to finally chip away at drug prices by putting one of the biggest buyers in the world, the United States government, at the bargaining table. Let's call this for what it is. It's simply, it's a ripoff. See, when your insurance company says, good news, your drug's covered, you can go pick it up at your Walgreens, that all comes after intensive negotiations about price. Every now and then, the drug company will tell insurers, hey, these pills are 10 bucks each. The insurance company comes back and says, well, okay, but we're sending you tons of patients in bulk. How about you give them to us for five bucks a pill? Remember, you never see this haggling. You might pay the same either way, but it affects how much insurance costs in the first place. It affects the broader market. It's a big impact. The weird thing is, while Cigna represents 20 million Americans and Aetna represents 40 million Americans, about 65 million Americans are covered by Medicare alone. But until the Inflation Reduction Act, the U.S. government had never been able to directly negotiate on those patients' behalf. The drug company would say, this is the price, and Medicare could say yes or no. That changes starting today. Under this new law, negotiations are finally underway, and we've got the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, with us this morning. Secretary Becerra, thanks for being with us. How is this about to work? Brad, uh, you hit it right on the money. It's uh, incredible to believe that for 65 million Americans, we could not try to get the best price. We had it. It's one of those take it or leave it. The drug company sets the price, and lo and behold, Americans today pay two or three times more than they probably should for those prescription drugs that folks around the world are paying so much less for. So it is now time. And the Inflation Reduction Act, as you said, now gives us a chance. The president fought for that law. And now we're going to start negotiations. We have submitted our offer to the 
uh, nine companies that have the 10 drugs that are the first to be negotiated. And we'll have a now, uh, now have a chance to have a back and forth in, in negotiations. What types of drugs are we talking about? Oh, these are drugs that cover cancer, diabetes, heart disease. It is the types of chronic conditions that you and I know that affect so many Americans and cost us so much. These drugs, these 10 drugs uh, alone cost us, the federal government taxpayers, $46 billion in 2022. And they cost folks on Medicare, who are the ones we're getting the drugs, about $3.5 billion out of their own pocket. Um, and and these are, like you said, like the 10 sort of most used drugs in the Medicare system. What is the timeline for how this actually plays out there? Like you guys start talking today, you sub- you submit your offers today, then, then what happens? So the companies have about a month to give us a counter offer. We then will uh, engage them as well and respond to what they've said. But by August the 1st, we have to finish the negotiations and have a a price, a negotiated price, that price will then take into effect the beginning of January 2026. Why? You mentioned how expensive our drugs are compared to other countries, two and three times higher. Why is that? Like, can it, can, is it just because the government can't negotiate via Medicare? Like, that's the reason? Well, I think of it this way. You go into a car dealership to buy a car. Do you pay the price you see on the sticker? Right. Of course you don't. You go in there saying, that's sticker price. I know you paid a lot less. Hey, mm-hmm. and I also read Consumer Reports. I know that you're you're really, it only costs you this much. And I know that the, the actual manufacturer gave you, the dealer, a further discount the more you sell, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this is the price I'll offer you. And then, of course, they go into that back room and they come back and then they offer you a different price. And you haggle back and forth until you get a price that you're willing to live with. And if you say, you know, I don't like the price. I'm going to go to the dealer down the, down the street. You know, you try to get the best bargain you can. We could not do that by law. We were restricted. Now we can do it. That's why we think we're going to drive the prices down. Hey, and by the way, in any real negotiation, like the one you just mentioned, you have to be willing to get up and walk away, right? Is that is that the case with drugs, though? I mean, is there a chance that there's going to be a drug no longer covered by Medicare because you guys couldn't agree on a price? Well, see, that's the interesting part. Uh, uh, up until the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, we didn't have a choice. We had to accept the price that those manufacturers put on the drug or we wouldn't have access to it for the, the millions of Americans who get Medicare. And so now we have a chance to try to negotiate to get the best price. And by the way, the drug companies aren't forced to negotiate. They have a choice if they want to participate in the Medicare program. They get to continue to sell the drug to anyone they'd like. But if they want to do it through the Medicare program, they have to engage in negotiations with us now on these 10 drugs. No, I get it. But if they, but say they're like, it's this much. And you guys are like, well, we're not paying that. Like, is there a chance drugs stop getting covered because you guys didn't get the deal you wanted? Well, we believe that uh, by engaging in good faith upfront negotiations, we'll settle on a good price. Okay. Um, who saves money at the end of all this? It's not the average consumer, right? It's not like Uncle Sam's negotiating. I'm not on Medicare. Uncle Sam's not negotiating on my behalf. I assume Medicare folks would pay the same amount maybe out of pocket. Like they don't see a sticker price difference. Is it just, so who actually saves money? Is it taxpayers writ large or something? So uh, directly, uh, folks who are on Medicare will will benefit by uh, Medicare being able to negotiate for the best fair price uh, on these drugs. Uh, the lower the price is, the more that the Medicare program and Medicare beneficiaries spend. When the Medicare program saves money, taxpayers save money because taxpayers help 
cover the cost of the Medicare program for Medicare beneficiaries. And so at the end of the day, all Americans will benefit by having lower costs on drugs under Medicare. But remember what happened with insulin? Insulin, which was part of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, efforts, has now been lowered to $35 at most per month for the insulin that a Medicare beneficiary needs. It could have been three or four times that amount before January 1st of this year. Now that the law's kicked kicked in, it's only $35 a month. Guess what? The, the manufacturers of insulin have also now moved to reduce the price of insulin for people who aren't on Medicare, for whom the law mm. didn't reach. And so I think- Oh, so it changes the ecosystem kind of. It changes the expectation. That's right. That's right. When do you see that happening though? When would the average American actually see a difference, you think? Well, they're already beginning to see the difference right now on insulin. Right. Uh, while the price on, on these drugs that we're negotiating now won't actually take effect until the beginning of 2026, uh, everyone will see what happens as of August of this year. And so we'll see what goes on. But there can, you know, negotiating, competition, that's as American as apple pie. And who would be against you trying to negotiate for the best price for your vehicle that you're going to buy from that dealer? Who would who would uh, argue with that? Maybe the pharma companies, right? They have said that this will uh, hurt their chances to be competitive. They've said it could hurt them having medical breakthroughs. They've sued the Biden administration to say that this is unconstitutional. I mean, what? Also, you've got GOP, you've got Republicans saying that this should not be the, the way the U.S. does business. What's your response to that? Uh, you know, I used to be the attorney general in California. I'd say that uh, the fact that I'm being sued probably means I'm doing something right. So, so you don't think it's unconstitutional, though? Oh, not at all. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I look. We, we see negotiations occurring in the federal government already. The Veterans Administration negotiates drug prices already. Indian Health Services, which is under the Department of Health and Human Services, and provides direct care and also uh, purchases drugs, goes through the same process of negotiating for prices. This is this is not new. And you don't think that hurts the ability to innovate and be competitive and create the next new huge cancer drug that could affect millions of lives, that this doesn't actually hinder companies from doing that? Think of it this way. If if we're now negotiating to get the best price, there will be companies who know they'll be able to compete with some of the brand name uh, pharma companies who are able to somehow you know muscle everyone out of the market. The more competition, the more innovation. The more innovation, the better the price for everyone. All right. That is Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra. Thank you so much for the explainer and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Brad. Great to be with you. Next up on Start Here. So if that's dividing Congress, this sure isn't. A tech hearing gets tense for Mark Zuckerberg after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and 
insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. So many congressional hearings in this era are one-sided affairs, right? The party in charge decides to haul someone in for questioning, they blast them, while the minority party spends their time defending the witness. Well, yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing about keeping children safe online. Democratic leaders had called in the heads of TikTok, X, formerly Twitter, and Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram. Mark Zuckerberg himself was there. And in this hearing, no one was rushing to these companies' defense. In fact, this is the one topic in Washington that engenders bipartisan anger. Let's go to ABC senior White House correspondent Selena Wang. Selena, Zuckerberg and these other executives really got a grilling, right? Why? They were absolutely slammed by these lawmakers. And it was expected all the all the time these hearings have a lot of political grandstanding. There's a lot of scathing criticism. This time it was over child exploitation on these Internet platforms. And at the opening of the hearing, there were some particularly strong words from Senator Lindsey Graham. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. And there's been a growing chorus of frustration from parents who say their children have fallen victim to this kind of exploitation to hold these platforms accountable. If they're being held responsible, then they will correct the problem. And they have the ability to. So when we talk about exploitation, there's many different forms. One of the ones that's frequently talked about is sextortion, which is basically a form of blackmail where an offender manipulates this minor to share sexually explicit images of themselves and then threatens to release them, to use it against them unless they give them money. That's one form. Another form is bullying. Another form is what parents have described as their children going online thinking they're buying one thing only to realize it's a drug laced with fentanyl and they pass away from that. Mm. So there's many different kinds of threats that these children are facing online. So there's the senators, Selena, but then what I wasn't even expecting was there were parents of children who had been affected by this 
in the room with these tech executives. That's what really made this hearing different. This is not the first time tech CEOs have been hauled in front of Congress to testify, but not every time do you have parents sitting there and they were holding photos of their children saying their children passed away because of something they faced on social media. And these are passionate parents. They were frustrated. They were angry. I talked to several of them after the hearing and there was a really rare moment. I've never seen this in a Senate hearing before. You didn't take any action. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't compensated a single victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? When Senator Josh Hawley was basically calling out Mark Zuckerberg to face these parents to apologize to them. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And Mark Zuckerberg actually stood up, turned around, and apologized. But something that some of the parents picked up that I talked about is that it was a, an apology, a show of empathy for the struggles that these parents are facing for what they've been through. But it's not Mark Zuckerberg taking responsibility for what happened. There's a clear difference here. Well, and what do lawmakers think should be done, Selena? Because I feel like we have seen scenes like this a lot over the years, right? The tech executives get called in to be held accountable and then nothing, I don't know, nothing changes. Well, there's actually, Brad, some rare bipartisan agreement here, which is that they don't trust the companies to regulate themselves. They believe that there needs to be regulation at the federal level of this. That has to change. Over the past year, this committee has unanimously reported five bills that would finally hold tech companies accountable. There is some bipartisan supporting of some of these bills, including the Kids Online Safety Act, which would make these platforms more liable for the harmful content on their platforms. And that did get the support of some of the tech companies there, but not all of them. Do you support the Kids Online Safety Act? It's a measure that is public, and I'm just asking whether you'll support it or not. These are nuanced things. I think that the basic spirit is right. I think the basic ideas in it are right. But that being said, Senator Amy Klobuchar even said so herself that Congress is partly to blame here. I just want to get this stuff done. I'm so tired of this. It's been 28 years, what, since the Internet. We haven't passed any of these bills because everyone's double talk, double talk. It's time to actually pass them. For years, Congress has failed to pass any major legislation to fix these issues, partly because of disagreements among lawmakers and also what they say is because of lobbying from these big tech companies to block those efforts. Did you walk away with a sense, Selena, though, that that stuff is happening here? I mean, there is this bipartisan anger at Silicon Valley, right? So, I mean, does that equal action? I mean, what 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 where does this all stand in your eyes? Yeah, well, this is an extremely difficult issue. While there is momentum for some of these pieces of legislation, the reality is that it's not clear if it's actually going to get anywhere. But these companies, they're vowing to do more. They say they've already hired armies of people to content moderate, that they're already taking harmful content down. But there is agreement in Congress that more has to be done. I spoke to some of the parents who were in the hearing yesterday. And they were thoroughly unimpressed by what they heard from the social media companies. One of them was Sam Chapman. He lost his son because he went on social media. He was a teenager and thought he was buying one thing. It turned out it was laced with fentanyl and he passed away. I think the CEOs are going to do nothing until they're forced to. They didn't support any of the laws that are on the table in the Senate when asked. And he felt like Mark Zuckerberg wasn't fully in it when he was apologizing. He wasn't taking accountability for it. I spoke to another parent named Brandon Guffey, whose son took his own life, he says, because of sextortion. Plenty of other platforms have the ability to shut down an account anytime child pornography transfers 
And yet these companies are enabling it. And he says he's not buying the promises that these tech companies are making and that they are to blame. He's also not impressed by Mark Zuckerberg's apology. Yeah, and we keep talking about the horror stories, right? Like the worst possible version of this happening. Then you got to think there's so many ways, large and small, in which tech is sort of affecting the lives of young people around the country every day, how they're ingesting media, how they're seeing themselves. Uh, Selena Wang, they're in the Capitol right now. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. There will be more on this story to follow in the coming months, I'm sure. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, she disappeared in the thin air. Well, has Amelia Earhart now come full circle? One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. Everyone loves a good mystery. Jack the Ripper's identity. Is there really a city of Atlantis? Well, the disappearance of Amelia Earhart is right up there as one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of all time. Until now? You think you found Amelia Earhart's plane? Really? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Yes, yes, absolutely. That's Tony Romeo. He's the CEO of a company called Deep Sea Vision. He's a pilot and former U.S. Air Force intelligence officer. And his company does everything from ocean habitat mapping to shipwreck hunting. Romeo's company spent nearly 18 months mapping, planning, and searching for Earhart's long-lost plane in the Pacific, somewhere between Australia and Hawaii. Where is this plane, by the way? Uh, you got a pencil? You, want, you write it right down the coordinates? <laughs> not the Bermuda Triangle, apparently. No, it's not. It's near Howland Island. We're telling everyone within 100 miles of Howland Island just to be safe. Oh, because you don't want to give away like the like actual spot or else everyone's going to show up. That's right. That's right. So while all of his competitors fire up their motorboats, quick history lesson. Eventually we'll be thinking about going home. Yes, it's time for me to go home then. Amelia Earhart was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She was only the second person in history to do it. Well, in 1937, she was attempting to become the first woman to circumnavigate the Earth along the equator when she and her navigator disappeared in the Pacific Ocean near Howland Island. The search swings around the area from which her last message was received. And in the golden age of radio, this quickly became one of the biggest stories on Earth. Like, disappearance of the century, even though it's only 1937. Dozens and dozens of theories on what happened to her, but, uh, you know, until she's found, uh, you know, there'd be more theories and more ideas, but there's enough to just keep you reading and reading and reading and reading until it's just, you're like down this rabbit hole and you're never coming out of it. So how do you go about finding an 80-year-old plane in the middle of nowhere? Well, the deep sea vision team first had to pick an area to study. They used what has become known as the Dateline Theory. This theory suggests that after 17 hours of exhausting flying, Amelia Earhart's navigator, Fred Noonan, simply forgot to turn back the date from July 3rd to July 2nd as they crossed the International Dateline there in the Pacific, creating a navigational error of 60 miles. And as this spot, 60 miles off course, where Romeo's team started deploying an underwater drone. 
Romeo says, instead of a Mars rover, think of something more like a drone, right? Just flying along back and forth, taking sonar images, except instead of the drone being in the sky, it's suspended in water. And it flies at about 50 meters above the seafloor, which is about 150 feet. And then it's just looking out at anything it can see using sound. So it's it's pinging, it's just like a, like a ping. And it's sending that sound out and then it listens for what it bounces off of. However, because this area is so deep, so remote, there's no live feed to the people on the surface. You get a pre-program where you want the drone to go, it zigzags around, takes its sonar images, then it comes up. We're talking terabytes of data here, right? Terabytes. Constantly watching this sonar, this kind of waterfall of data and looking for any, anything that looks like a plane or fits the right size of a plane. And it wasn't until weeks later that they noticed what first looked like an outcropping of rocks and then on further analysis revealed the shape of a plane. So you see the twin, uh, the twin vertical stabilizers on the back and also in the image. That was very distinctive of her plane. I'm holding- for all the insistence on the idea that it is Earhart's plane, it is the same size and dimensions, none of that will be provable until he can take some pictures. That will take a rover-type vehicle, which he doesn't have yet. I think we go down, we confirm it. If it is, in fact, the plane, then we go back with the right equipment and what's called curating the site. We just make see how it's sitting in the sand. Um, is it actually salvageable? And can we engineer a solution to raise it and then um, hopefully restore the plane and bring it, bring her home? But for a sea explorer, you don't get bigger than this. The ocean has always inspired equal parts awe and fear. For centuries, seafarers spoke of it in hushed, reverent tones. It was both heaven and hell. Air travel was supposed to tame this, right? You could just fly right over the sea. Well, for millions around the world, Amelia Earhart was a reminder that it could still swallow you whole. That is the legacy that people like Romeo are chasing one stretch of sand at a time. My dad was a pilot for Pan Am for four, for four decades, and... I mean, it's a story I heard. I actually played Amelia Earhart in a play in fourth grade. So, it was, you know, it's something that I've always, you know, been fascinated by. He says even if this isn't Earhart's plane, there were very few documented flights going down in this region. It'll hold lessons either way, since even armed with 21st century drones, we're still just scratching the surface of the seafloor. Why were you playing Amelia Earhart? He says he doesn't quite remember the casting process of fourth grade theater, but that he always dug her. And I'm looking at old photos of her. Yeah, she looked legit baller. Like the entire look and vibe, just impeccable. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, don't get lost on your way back into your phone so you can leave us a five-star rating and review. It really does help other people navigate their way to us. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.